2: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: And in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an Mm AR-15, and that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15. In Odessa, in Midland, there weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47.
3: We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. I thought that was the best moment Beto has had since he announced for running for president. A terrible topic to have to talk about, obviously. But it's genuine and real, and he seems like a real human being. Now, I think the policy is not going to fly very well with the majority of Americans. A government gun confiscation. But uh, Beto had some real moments, and, and Bernie gurgled, and uh, Julian called <laughs> Biden senile. And that's just part of the... Uh, the equation with the debate last night. We're going to talk with Lonnie Chen now, David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, maybe our favorite political pundit that we ever have on the air, and he's got a podcast we'll tell you about coming up. Lonnie Chen, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Thank How's you. it going? So Great I be with you this morning. I, I ask everybody this. I'm wondering how many people actually watch the whole three hours. I'll bet it's less than a million in the whole country. Do you watch the whole three hours?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, wow. I, I did. Good but for I, you. I sense that people usually drop off after the first 30 to 45 minutes i mean that's that that just remembering from um, you know when i did a lot of work with cnn and they had the metrics on this it seems like most people kind of stick around for that first half hour then they go and, and get a pizza
3: <laughs> or, yeah i'm glad you brought that up so like when you were prepping candidates when you were working with either you know mitt romney or or whoever else um do, do you guys know that and try to get your best stuff in early knowing people are going to go away later
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, huh. you you definitely want to to make a strong first impression, and usually they're going to front load whatever is most newsworthy or whatever they perceive to be the most important issue first. So, for example, last night we saw a lot of health care. early. Sure. we seeing a lot of health care early, and so, so so they tend to do that.
3: And then to that point, I was watching the debate, and I probably watched two hours of it. Then I went to. Uh, to uh, started fast forwarding to clips I heard people talking about on social media. But uh, early on, I thought Biden was strong and made his points and separated himself from the other candidates and got some shots in. Man, his last couple answers, aside from his closing thought, which I thought was fantastic in another real human moment, um, his last couple answers were a rambling old man who'd been on stage for three hours.
4: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think he started off strong and performed well when he needed to perform well, which was right as the debate got going. Uh, you're right. Toward the end, it was rambling. Uh, y- you know, I-, I thought that exchange with Julian Castro was the exchange of the debate. Um, sure. I don't know if you've played it today, but the one where basically Julian Castro accuses Biden of being old. Correct. Uh, and, and you know, I didn't think it played well for Castro, obviously. But but for Biden, at least, I thought it was probably his strongest debate to date.
3: Yeah. Which, you know, when you've got a double digit lead and you have your best debate, that's a pretty good position to be in. Are, are we really down to a three person race and uh, and even the two that are chasing Biden got to figure something out if they want to beat him?
4: Yeah, that sounds right to me. I think, you know, you've got Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden. You've got a couple of other people who could potentially uh, make their way back into it at some point. But the odds are beginning to, to look pretty slim for people like Kamala Harris. Uh, Cory Booker would be another, you know, Beto O'Rourke did have that moment you played, but, you know, his his campaign is effectively done anyway. He's always searching for a moment anyway. Sure. sort of got this... Uh, I'm, I'm going go to go to curse words when I feel like I need to, to create a moment. It's the same playbook he had when he ran for the Senate in Texas. And by the way, what Beto O'Rourke did last night is he basically guaranteed he'll never win statewide in Texas. Uh, he, he'll 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 just not. He he doesn't have a political future in Texas given the position he has on guns. It's just not going to happen. Yeah,
3: um, let's talk but, a little bit. Know, of, I mean, yeah, I was I was going to bring up issues as opposed to people. The issue of mandatory gun buybacks and and the the moderator said some critics would call that a confiscation that's because that's what it is a confiscation uh how does america feel about confiscation of guns
4: yeah i mean I, I i still think in general you'll find that most americans probably don't like the idea um i i think most americans will perceive themselves as being for sensible gun control and i the reason i use that phraseology is because What is sensible, obviously, is in the eye of the beholder. And, you know, when you talk about background checks, expanded background checks, you talk about assault weapons, uh, some controls on that, you know, limits on capacity, things like that. I think people say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, when you start to get into policies which are even arguably confiscatory, then I think you run into a little bit more difficulty. I think people generally out there would say, yes, we need more common sense controls. But the defining common sense is really the difficult part of this. And I, and I don't think that Beto O'Rourke saying, you know, yes, we're going to come after your AR-15s. I, I, I don't know that that is something that a majority of Americans would say, yeah, I agree with that policy.
3: Talking with Lan He Chen, who you see on a, a variety of the big national shows. Um, And he's also got a great podcast called Crossing Lines with Lon Hee Chen. The latest episode, Meet the Boss, features the new Congressional Budget Office director. Um, maybe you talk about that on your podcast, the budget and everything, but not a lot of deficit talk on the debate stage last night. Of course, neither was there on the Republican debate stage.
4: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, and we've talked about this before. I just don't know that it's a topic that, that resonates as much as voters anymore. You know, I thought the interesting thing last night is there wasn't a lot of talk about the economy general. Right. You know, there was some talk about China and trade. But for for a topic that really animates most voters' decisions when they get to the ballot box, to not spend more time on the economy was disappointing. And I would have liked them to say a little bit more about what they plan to do on the economy. If the economy slows and we enter into some kind of recession, what's their plan? What are they gonna do? We didn't hear much about that. Now part of that might be because they don't have a lot of ideas for how to how to get out of it that that are particularly unique. And so maybe they you know the, the moderators figured let's not talk about it. But for such an important topic to spend such little time is very interesting.
3: I don't want to sound like Julian Castro going after Biden's age, but he had a couple of rambling old man answers. And he had some sort of mouth tooth problem at some point that's become a like a <laughs> meme on the internet. I mean, th- those are serious things to worry about, aren't they?
4: Well, it was. I don't know if you caught Cory Booker. They, they um, Cory Booker had an interview. I think it was on CNN after the after the debate. And, and he said something which I thought, you know, was right. It was sort of cringeworthy, but right. He said a lot of Democrats are worried about Joe Biden's ability to get the football across the goal line <laughs> uh, because, because it's like, you know, you can you can see him running and running and running. And then at some point, oh, no, he stumbled. To your point, I think that's the concern. His numbers are durable. Joe Biden's numbers are pretty durable. He's still got a lot of support. But you're right. There are these moments where people are reminded that Joe Biden is, first of all, who he is, he has been his whole political career, who's somebody who you know rambles and, and goes on tangents and isn't particularly focused. And then the age issue does kind of come back into it more subtly. And I thought Booker did that much more effectively than Castro did during the debate.
3: But then the last question which was, you know, what what have you overcome? What's the biggest hurdle you've overcome? Biggest setback you've ever had to overcome? And Biden's answer about what's really important in life and 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 losing family in a car wreck and the cancer and stuff. I thought there aren't many politicians that can pull that off without sounding jivey, and he can.
4: Oh, absolutely. And 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 you know, it's an incredible life story. It's a tragic it life is. story. And it's one which connects with people. You know, everybody's experienced pain of some sort in their life, and to hear that, and and, and I think that resonates with people. I think that's what makes, ultimately, what makes Joe Biden, I think, the front-runner and the strongest candidate. It's not his policy positioning, it's not even his ability to beat Trump. Really what it is is his humanity. And I think the more he connects with that humanity, the more people forgive him the rambling they'll forgive him the stumbling they'll forgive him the things that don't sound coherent and they'll realize that he's just a guy who wants to, to to do well for his country and i think that's something that'll be very appealing come next november
3: wow that's pretty good right there lon he chen that's interesting i think you're right um and and it really makes uh, julian castro attacking him make him look even worse
4: yeah well you know it comes back to this question again did anybody realize julian castro was running for president right you know yeah. and and It it, it makes him look like a small man, which which, you know, last night would suggest he is
3: Um, the, the part of the debate that made me the angriest. And I just wonder why it works this way. You got Jorge Ramos from Univision up there and he tries to force Joe Biden into apologizing for a Democrat president deporting a few people because it was the law because we have illegals in this country why do the questions come from an such an extreme point of view Jorge Ramos is clearly an advocate for illegal immigration
4: well remember the the premise of these debates is conflict the the you know and this is not just I'm not just speaking about the network that hosted last night I'm saying any network hosting any debate they want to see fireworks. And so the premise, the fundamental premise I think Ramos was going after is the same premise you're going to see future models going after, which is will Joe Biden draw distance from Barack Obama? Will Joe Biden disavow things that he was part of during the Obama administration that progressives and Democrats now feel is, is passe or bad policy? And so that's what he was trying to do. And by the way, it's not the last time it's going to happen. You're going to see plenty more efforts in the future to separate and distance Joe Biden from Barack Obama. Uh, Unfortunately, I think for the networks, Barack Obama remains very, very popular. And it's going to be tough to get Biden to really disavow things that he did during the Obama administration. But that's a dynamic that we're seeing there. They're trying to get separation. They're trying to get conflict. And I would expect to see it again.
3: The podcast is called Crossing Lines with Hee Chen. Got a new episode called Meet the Boss we just told you about with the Congressional Budget Officer, Office Director, and more episodes on the way. Uh, Lanhee Chen, thanks for your time today.
4: Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend.
3: You betcha. I think he's absolutely right about that. When when Biden does his real human moments like he did at the end of the debate there, the sort of stuff that, like I, I keep saying, Hillary Clinton couldn't come within 100 miles of ever pulling that off. Then he'll be forgiven a little bit for some of his old man stumbles. In the same way, you might be, uh, you know, you you you're okay with your your grandfather or whoever. Uh, you'll you'll excuse some of the the old person stuff that they they struggle with because you like them. Um, My grandparents don't have nuclear codes, <laughs> as far as you know. Um, yeah. God, I'll tell you what. I just keep picturing him. Giving that long rambling answer where he went from phonographs to Venezuelan back on a stage with Trump and Trump turning toward the audience and say, "What do you think of that?" I mean, just and just killing with that moment. But we'll see.
0: We'll see.
1: Armstrong and Getty.
0: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick